Welcome to Scandal.K12.us. Our Scandal K12 curriculum is a true crime comedy podcast about bamboozling boards, sneaky superintendents, lame learning products, and teachers who are way too cool for school. This curriculum may contain references and potential descriptions of crimes against minors and the field of education. Listener discretion is advised. And now, time for morning announcements. Good morning, Scandal K-12 students, home of the Fighting Rats. Go Rats! Once again, we bring you this state anthem of North Carolina, if everyone could please rise. Wow, thank you very much. It feels like just a week ago that we heard that sweet, sweet music, and if you listened to our episodes as they were released, it was indeed a week ago. If you are binging the podcast, half passed out on your couch, you're at least aware that time is passing and passing you by. So students, if you have not listened to part one, go back and do it because this is a two-parter and this is part two. We're going to be talking about Richard H. Collins, the grandson of the Crazy Waters Crystal Company, who co-founded or founded iStation, an educational technology company, and this company was looking to expand their new phonemic, 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 phonemic assessment into new states such as North Carolina, which had had, had had, had had, had had used another vendor for years. Part two of our story we're going to call scandal.k12.us forward slash ice station zebra. Okay, students, before we get into that main announcement, let's give a little recognition to a few tarred and feathered Tar Heel teachers. First up is a teacher in Pine Forest Middle School in Fayetteville who had a little time on her hands she needed to fill, and with it being so close to the end of the year, why not make it something fun? Isis Perez, who taught Spanish, asked her middle school students if they wanted to watch a few films as the bell ringer. We're not sure why Perez chose the genre she did. We hope she didn't ask her middle school students, Hey kids, what do you want to watch? But either way, she proceeded to show the class creepypasta-style horror movies, which, according to one sixth-grade snitch to his parents, they were, quote, required to watch. While there are great Spanish-speaking horror authors such as Mariana Enriquez, Edgar Cantero, and Carlos Ruiz Zafon, Perez did not choose them. She could have stayed in the Spanish genre by showing creepy animated cartoons like Coco or La Leyenda de la Nahuala or even Scooby-Doo and the Monster of Mexico. But she chose the most terrifying of all crypts of horror, the Internet. Of the few short films she showed, one depicted a, quote, little girl being lured to the kitchen in her home by a demonic figure using balloons and candy to get her to come downstairs. And then the girl sees the monster with her mother in a plastic bag. According to the snitch, who we're going to call Timmy, nice-going Timmy, ruin it for all of us, Timmy's parents had to, quote, remove all the balloons that were still in their home. Remove all of the balloons in their home? This makes it sound like Timmy lives in a house of carnival horrors and his parents are evil clowns. It really shocked me as an adult, one of Timmy's parents said, their voice audible but dead lips remaining immobile, their paper-thin, grotesque-faced, it remained entirely still, but the clown face continued. Quote, Some things I can stomach, some things I can push aside, but I put myself in his shoes and I could see why he was terrified. Timmy probably just stood there as his parent talked and just pointed at you, screaming a silent scream out of an entirely black hole of his mouth, the sort of darkness of the void that was the last thing you saw before you woke up in a bathtub of ice with a note saying, Get to the hospital, quick! 
The only internet film that was named in any of the articles about this matinee at the Bijou gone totemente jodida was a short commercial film called, quote, This is a Special Time, produced by a company called Little Baby's Ice Cream, a Philadelphia-based ice cream company that until 2019 offered flavors such as CBD, Earl Grey, Sriracha, and for those who want to play it totally safe, Vanilla Cardamom Cream. This clearly hipster ice cream company became nationally known after they shoved a pile of money at video artist Doug Gareth Williams, who made a short video depicting a person covered or made entirely out of ice cream, apparently eating said ice cream out of their own living head. It seems that the filmmaker Williams wanted to answer the age-old question, Would you eat yourself? And his answer was, Yes, you would. You just taste too damn good. If you want to see what Timmy saw, hide your balloons, put your evil clown parents in the dungeon where Daddy keeps the women, and watch This is a Special Time by Little Baby's Ice Cream. You're welcome. In the long list of North Carolina teachers who are sorry, here's the story of one teacher who is not sorry. Lee Francis, formerly a first-year history teacher at Massey Hill Classical High School in Fayetteville, wanted to teach his class about the First Amendment. Now, of course, we know the First Amendment is the right to free speech, but also certain actions are covered by the amendment. And to demonstrate, Francis did the one thing he knew students would learn from. He took the flag off the wall and trampled on it. Apparently, that class has a snitch, too. Thanks, Timmy, for ruining it for all of us. According to the csmonitor.com, the most monitoring of CSN News, the powers that be at Massey Hill Classical High School did not find this object lesson quite as empowering. We can certainly understand the reactionary forces of the school, considering that many of the student body may be from families who work at Fort Bragg, you know, the home to the 82nd Airborne and Special Operation Forces, where, where the flag is sort of kind of a sacred symbol of everything that they're fighting for, and a teacher stomping on the flag, Ayatollah Khomeini style, may not be the most, um, well, thought-through demonstration of cultural competency. Francis was suspended, but this incident re-re-reopened the free speech debate that has been going on since, well, since the amendment was first ratified. During the incident, two students left the class. One of the students picked up the flag and took it to the principal's office to, quote, be properly taken care of. We can only guess that it would be taken care of by the school's flag nurse. Another student in the classroom took pictures of Francis's foot near the flag and posted it to the online world where, of course, nerd rage on social media blew up or flamed up or whatever we're calling it now. Days after the event, Francis was barred from the classroom as demonstrators, in response, stood across from Messy Hill Classical waving and holding American flags, some for Francis, others against Francis, and perhaps one person in the melee was standing there just undecided because there's always an undecided voter in every crowd. Francis was suspended, and in the suspension noticed by the then-superintendent, he was cited for neglect of duty, failure to fulfill the duties and responsibilities imposed upon teachers or school administrators by the general statutes of the state, and failure to comply with such reasonable requirements as the board may prescribe. Which is the longest, windiest way of saying, Dude, you stomped on a flag. Well, Francis lawyered up and challenged his suspension, but after eight hours of deliberation, the school board sided with the superintendent. This lack of freedom to trample the flag has come up several times in the past few years, with teachers more often than not losing their case to stomp, burn, tear, fold, or wash the flag. It turns out that according to Michael Roy, a law professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, the First Amendment is not synonymous with academic freedom. 
Professor Leroy authored the study that found an overwhelming majority of professors and lecturers lose First Amendment claims in court and that this extends well into K-12 educators. Quote, if you look at the trend lines, the speech rights of public employees are narrowing and, coincidentally, this is occurring when public speech via social media has become so much more prevalent, he said, maybe standing on a flag or sitting on a Zoom call with no pants. In this kerfluffle, the district ultimately decided not to renew Francis's contract. However, Francis resigned before they could not renew his contract, which is the K-12 version of, You're fired. Oh yeah? Well, I quit. Today, Francis enjoys a new life having settled in Asheville after his stint as a teacher. You may expect a flag stomper to be a patchouli-wearing drum circle attending Bleeding Heart, but today he's an author and conservative activist with a master's degree in rhetoric and composition and a law degree from Maurice A. Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. Francis writes about Republican and conservative issues from an African-American perspective and is, quote, increasingly inspired by the shift of blacks towards the Republican Party, having publicly supported and voted for Trump in 2016 and 2020, despite most of his neighbors perhaps assuming he would support the Democratic Party as they, in his words, quote, perpetuate racist narratives that further divide Americans. Mr. Francis, as an African-American, Trump-loving Republican, proves that anyone can stomp on a flag in defense of freedom and vote to further curtail that freedom since nothing makes sense anymore and anything goes. Speaking of anything goes, let's get back into our main announcement with a little recap. iStation was founded to provide online learning and assessment in the K-12 market and take advantage of a particular time in history when new technology was seen as a silver bullet of education. Also, new federal legislation mandated more standardized tests in the name of accountability. After many various ventures from oil man to real estate mogul, Collins joined iStation as founder or co-founder depending on the literature. Collins first moved to expand iStation's business, and then he worked to remove founder or co-founder and visionary entrepreneur George Grayson by reshuffling the board of directors and perhaps giving Grayson the old succession-style bear hug. With Grayson bounced out, iStation moved aggressively, and as education technology went through a few mini-boom and bust cycles, the company faced only a few competitors in the reading assessment field. Most notable was Amplify Education, the brainchild of serial visionaries Larry Berger and Gregory Dunn, two friends who met as Rhodes Scholars and had created a company they then sold to Rupert Murdoch and then bought back on pennies to the dollar, which is literally the plot of Mad Men Season 3, Episode 13, Shut the door, sit down. For almost a decade, Amplify had a contract with North Carolina to assess student reading ability with an assessment called DIBBLES, or Dynamic Indicators of Basic Early Literacy Skills. Like all contracts, the contract comes up for renewal as part of the state purchasing process. The Department of Education had an open bid to solicit other vendors, even though Amplify was the insider's favorite to win. You can think of this in terms of when a job is posted by an employer, but that employer already has an internal candidate, so you basically, well, it's a done deal, but you interview anyway. iStation had their own dibbles, which they called ISIP, or Indicators of Progress. We're not sure how they get ISIP out of that, but anyway, that's what it's called. 
While the two diagnostic tools differ, we're not going to get into the details very much other than both products measure phonemic awareness, the building blocks of literacy. While Amplify's bids and proposals department perhaps thought this was a shoe-in, in a surprising upset, iStation ran away with the state contract. The showdown between iStation's Richard H. Collins from the deepest of red states and Amplify's Larry Berger from the most bleeding heart of blue states was about to heat up and measuring phonemic awareness would never be the same. Actually, we don't know if Collins ever met Larry Berger or if measuring phonemic awareness will be the same, but people tend to follow story-driven journalism rather than objective journalism, so we're just trying to sex up the story or gin up the audience, as the British would say. Now, before we ISIP into the story, let's see how Larry Berger got dibbled. Dibbles was originally a paper-and-pencil-based assessment, which took time for the teachers to administer the, and, of course, mail it to the experts at the Dibbles headquarters to score, and then have it returned to their inbox in the mailroom of the school. This process, of course, often left teachers with stale data points, so that by the time they got to their postcard or handwritten letter or the set of 12-row, 80-column IBM punch cards or however student data was delivered back then, they had to move on to their next item in their pacing guide. Before the turn of the last century, Larry Berger created Amplify, then known as Wireless Generation, and turned this pen and paper assessment into an early quote-unquote online assessment, if by online we mean that teachers used a PDA like a Palm Pilot to enter data that was uplinked once a day at about 4 p.m. PST, and if that Palm Pilot was in the cradle correctly and that connection to the Internet was active for the duration of that upload, and everything on the server side, of course, had to work, and as it should, and of course, product didn't have to wake up ops to do a hot fix on load in the middle of the night, and if everything worked as it should, teachers got their student data in the morning. Basically, all you have to remember about this is Dibbles is Amplify, because it's going to get hotter than a road lizard walking up a hill backward carrying a bucket of feed. Okay, so let's look into iStation. In 2007, iStation had matured its products and paid for research, <laughs> we mean funded research that showed that their product to-do assessment, ISIP, was as valid as Dibble's, and in addition, according to BusinessWire, a strange supporter of iStation and all the articles we could find claimed, quote, Unlike Dibble's, which is teacher-administered and requires about 20 minutes per student, ISIP takes only 20 minutes to screen an entire class. Adding to ISIP's ease of use, the examiners did not have to enter, review, correct information, or wait for results to be processed. ISIP data was available online as each subset was completed. Thanks, 2007 high-speed internet, which at the time was then 3.67 megabytes per second. Today it can be as fast as 85.02 megabytes per second, just for you kids who are yelling at that lagging video. Remember how we had it back then, 2007. Also in 2007, the top online video was Nora, a cat who played the piano, which has nothing to do with the story, or does it? We report, you decide. So this struggle between teachers dibbling students for 20 minutes and teachers giving students a quick ISIP had gone on for some time in the marketplace of ideas and contracts. However, in 2019, the battle for the phonemic awareness became all manner of cray-cray. According to Edwick, quote, Amplify had held the contract to supply the diagnostic assessment, teacher training, curriculum, and online supports for teachers for a number of years. That contract went up for rebidding in 2018. This bid for the government contract was managed by the Department of Public Instruction and headed by Superintendent Mark Johnson. According to the website johnlock.org, media wing of the conservative John Locke Foundation, quote, 
officials and staff began the process of evaluating reading programs for the next contract cycle. The evaluation included Amplify and its competitors, iStation, iReady, and NWEA. Of the four, Amplify and iStation were the top two choices of the evaluation committee. In January, the committee signaled its intent to negotiate and renew the Amplify contract. It seems that case is closed. However, not so fast. Superintendent Johnson claimed that the state procurement team was impressed by iStation's ISIP enough to toss aside long-standing relationship with the vendor Amplify and embrace an alternative product which actually didn't have much independent research to back up its claims. iStation was quickly awarded an $8 million contract for three years, just weeks before the start of the 2019-2020 school year, which pretty much shocked just about everybody. According to the Charlotte Observer, Johnson announced a decision that shocked public school parents and employees alike. He had signed a contract with Dallas-based e-learning company iStation. All diagnostic reading tests for students from kindergarten to third grade would be conducted with students working alone on computers rather than reading with their teachers. Johnson warned those involved in the selection process, however, quote, not to share any information about the process, and he dismissed all claims that the majority of the selection team had actually approved of moving forward to award Amplify the three-year contract. This was an unusual turn of events for the procurement process. It's supposed to be transparent and public. Justin Parameter, a 7th grade language arts teacher, contributor to the Charlotte Observer, and author of Notes from the Chalkboard blog, claims that, quote, good government requires consensus and transparency. If the evaluation committee did indeed agree that Amplify is the best available tool for North Carolina's children, our superintendent should honor their recommendation. Now, this all looks murkier than a catfish farts in a Tar Heel mud hole. And it turns out in 2019, just days before the start of the new school year, a motion had been granted to block the use of the controversial new iStation reading program in North Carolina's public schools, according to the News Observer. By December 2019, things had escalated from intervention to recovery when Amplify's challenge of the decision to replace them with iStation fell on deaf ears in the Department of Public Instruction, or DPI. They turned to the Department of Information Technology, or DIT, to remedy the case, which led to the DPI to accuse the DTI of being DTF, to which the DPI said to the DTI was DDTF, to which they totally were, because Johnson said the NCDIT was unfairly biased because the serious flaw meant NCDIT's decision to have a stay out in the contract made after hearing the alleged facts only from one party amplify and push forward his emergency purchase of iStation to the tune of $928,570. So if you couldn't follow all those acronyms, we'll just boil it down to the basic information. Johnson did old switcheroo, even though the committee had chosen amplify, he pushed through iStation and pushed it through for almost a million dollars. This led to the head of the DPI, Eric Boyetti, who also happened to have been the CIO or Chief Information Officer of North Carolina, to issue a request for further explanation of the RFQ, that is a request for quotes, and this, quote, emergency purchase came one day after the superior judge refused to lift a stay to allow DPI to continue to work with iStation. So this left North Carolina without a tool to assess reading levels on its K-3 students, according to ncpolicywatch.org, just before school was to start. And so the iStation contract was passed on and approved with tepid opposition by the powers that are intended to be in place to review such actions and ensure a fair contractual award. Very crazy waters we have waded into. So let's just sum this up with as simple a phoneme set as we can muster. Amplify's contract was to expire in 2018. Following guidelines, the state put out an RFP for vendors to bid on. 
There were four bidders. Amplify was a favorite since it had been in place for years. There was iReady, Northwest Evaluation Association, and iStation. The committee members preferred the incumbent, Amplify. Mark Johnson stayed up all night and figured that iStation needed to win. Amplify complained to Johnson, but he didn't care. They complained to Boyat, he sort of listened. Mark Johnson didn't care and went ahead with the contract under some fake emergency provision, and then Amplify fought back and, we can only assume that with such a high level of strange malfeasance and public outcry that Amplify won, but this is the cutthroat business of reading assessments. They pull a last-minute stay of adoption. You pull an emergency purchase order. He sends your assessment adoption review process to the courts. You send your reading assessments to the schools. That's the North Carolina way. That's how you get ISIP. So you may be wondering why Johnson was so hot for ice station and perhaps he inherited an addiction to crazy water crystals and just needed his fix. It turns out that it wasn't the healing crystals that he may have been addicted to, but money and the sort of money that can send modern day civic minded businessmen and women into political offices high above their station. It turns out that along with being a cape crusader for children, Richard Collins is also a huge donor to Republican candidates and very involved politically as an operative, especially in areas of government that may have influence in education, such as <clears throat> awarding contracts to ed tech vendors. Collins also paid for a 2020 attempt by his daughter, Genevieve Collins, that ultimately failed, but they spent over $5 million overall to try to get her into the 32nd Congressional District. Unfortunately, they turned that flip into a flop. In a 2019 blog post by author Caffeinated Rage titled Follow the Money, Looking into Political Contributions Among Those Involved with iStation Contract, terrible name but good article, quote, When DPI awarded iStation a contract over Amplify, it seemed obvious that it was a unilateral decision on the part of the state superintendent, Mark Johnson. But for anyone who's followed North Carolina's recent history in public education, it is apparent that Mark Johnson answers to the powers of the North Carolina General Assembly, led by Phil Berger, who enables him. Who is Phil Berger? Phil Berger is the current member of the North Carolina General Assembly and perhaps is best known for authoring a voter ID law that many claimed, quote, targeted African-Americans with almost surgical precision, according to Wikipedia. Or is that by a contributor to the wiki page user Snoogan Snoogans, who was a senior editor three entitled to display the Rodendium Editor Star and an unknown user with an IP address that leads back to the North Carolina Research and Education Network, a membership organization whose, quote, mission is to advance higher education through the use of information technology. Not that this is a story about Wikipedia, but it is a site made by people, and we're always looking out for all manner of sock puppetry, so we can review edits on Wikipedia before using it as a source, and you should too at least for the comedy gold therein contained. Just click on the view history on any article and open up the matrix and goodbye the rest of your afternoon. Anyway, it is worth quoting from an article by Caffeinated Rage in full. Phil Berger was the champion of Read to Achieve being created in North Carolina. Please do not forget that the iStation debacle has everything to do with Read to Achieve. Mark Johnson's unilateral move to award iStation the contract over M-Class that is, of course, amplifies dibbles, against the recommendation of a committee certainly has raised a lot of concern, which has been discussed on the national level and has prompted legislative action in the North Carolina General Assembly. And now, the relationship between the iStation contract and Bill Berger's office needs to be looked at. First, ask yourself this question. Do you honestly think that Mark Johnson acted on the iStation contract without Bill Berger's consent or input? Remember the special session in late 2016 that gave us HB 17? A little side quest. Uh, House Bill 17 
apparently went to great lengths to strip the then governor from being able to appoint folks to university boards. And additionally, the bill also reorganized the governance of North Carolina's public schools. Many said that the bill was to strip power from the State Board of Education to provide more authority to the then newly elected superintendent-elect of public schools, Mark Johnson. According to the blog Progressive Pulse, House Bill 17, or NC-17, quote, in nearly every way possible, stripped power from the State Board of Education to provide more authority to the newly elected Republican superintendent-elect of public schools, Mark Johnson. So let's go back from that side quest and return to caffeinated rage. And to quote Caffeinated Rage, With that, Mark Johnson, that that being HB 17, became the most enabled incoming state superintendent in state history. He gained powers that even his predecessor did not possess the magnitude of. DPI ended up getting reorganized, the State Board of Education got less control over the state's public school system, and Phil Berger got his puppet. With less than two calendar years in the classroom and no experience in running the department, Mark Johnson assumed an office for which he was not prepared for, and he certainly has not shown any ability to confront lawmakers over issues that affect public schools. So if what caffeinated rage says is true, it seems that the longhorns of the Texas Collins reached far into a lot of pockets to make things happen for ICE Station, since, of course, Collins was one of the big funders in a lot of Republican issues and activities and elections in North Carolina. But Collins was not the only player here. Don't feel too sorry for Amplify, because they were in the political game, too. In 2013, the year they landed that contract in North Carolina to provide dibbles, they had retained the lobbying firm Capital Results with Teresa Kosterziwa, who then ranked six most influential lobbyists in North Carolina, according to the North Carolina Center for Public Research and Policy. However, that was then, and this is now, and ICE Station apparently goes direct to the top of uh, switches of the government. Uh, and they did hire their own lobbyists. ICE Station had a lobbyist that got an honorable mention. It was just in the top 25 North Carolina lobbyists in the list that was compiled by the North State Journal. But perhaps it doesn't matter the ranking of your lobbyist if you have access to, as we said, the top political leaders. Money always talks. So as the year started, September 2019 was a messy month for North Carolina schools that were required to follow the Read to Achieve law that mandated the use of reading assessments and reading programs in the first place. Amplify co-founder Larry Berger was as mad as a three-legged dog trying to bury a turd on an icy pond, and he was trying to overturn the ice station contract in court while parents took to the blogosphere, such as Michelle Craig on stampncblue.org, who proposed parents refuse to participate and that she, quote, cannot in good conscience allow my child to participate with iStation. I guess we couldn't call that a four-star review. iStation sent various emails to parents in North Carolina, penned by Ossia Fisher, the president and head of media at iStation, that to many parents smelled worse than a dead skunk that just crawled out of another dead skunk's ass. Ossia Fisher claimed that, quote, thousands of educators have been trained in iStation, and it's already being used as assessments in the reading skills for over 250,000 K-3 students throughout the state. Nearly all school districts, 109 out of 116, have begun assessing students, in addition to the company providing free training. Too many this activity and these press releases didn't seem like the actions of a company that thought things may revert back to Amplify. It seemed that they were just basically running out time until the clock ran out and they had assessed all their students. And indeed, they were rolling it out. Any calls for delay were unheeded. 
Prior to the start of the school year in June of 2019, a group of 88 district superintendents had sent a letter to Johnson asking him to delay the use of iStation for a year to prepare teachers for the change. A change in assessment tool that has so much impact in the classroom would be a challenge, the letter said, due to the late decision and the announcement. However, what Johnson did give was a delay in the court proceedings. After a five-day hearing in January, months after iStation was already active in schools, the DTI officials who presided over the hearing, quote, granted the court reporter two weeks to transcribe recordings and attorneys three weeks to respond with proposed decisions, according to NC Policy Watch. That's a lot to transcribe in the hearing, including text messages that were entered as evidence of breach of confidentiality that also would lead to allegations of Johnson spying on his staff. On the part of iStation's attorneys, as well as a list of positive responses after the iStation training, and positive responses to training is a strange thing to enter into the exhibits since these were not the opinions of the evaluation committee members, but of teachers and school administrators after attending a training. And anyone who has trained teachers or educators or just about anyone right after your training, if you've done it right, everyone's flying pretty high. We're going to link the full document in our show notes since it includes a lot of primary information that you RFP, BAFO, and RFQ fans will love to read, but the rest of you need to just keep going. Whatever the reviews from teachers attending trainings, it was clear that, quote, the committees of education leaders that reviewed the companies competing for the contract ranked Amplify the highest, followed by iStation, and that, quote, despite the majority of committee members recommending Amplify, the state superintendent chose to award the contract to iStation, according to WRAL.com, a station that claims to be, quote, everywhere you need us to be. So they might be sitting right behind you. While the court wrangling continued, by March, the Board of Education voted down a four-month extension of iStation use, and by April, iStation was back in business with three-month contract extensions by the same Board of Education. However, in April, to paraphrase T.S. Eliot, this is the way the statewide adoption of a vendor ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. In April 2020, Mark Johnson voluntarily terminated the iStation contract using the termination for convenience clause in the contract. Quote, this move allowed him to avoid the embarrassment of having the contract he'd spent a whole year defending publicly lambasted by DIT. According to Justin Paramenter, writing for the CardinalPine.com website, the most prolific writer of the Paramenter family, in May Amplify's protest against the contract was dismissed under North Carolina's, quote, mootness doctrine, since without a contract, there was nothing to contest. The good news being that Amplify's RFP staff could get five hours of sleep per night rather than usual three. And the even better news is that now we know that in North Carolina, there's a mootness doctrine. But I guess you already knew that, so it's moot. In May, the state took firm action with the decision to lead from behind. With Mark Johnson having declined another run for superintendent in order to run for lieutenant governor, spoiler alert, he lost the GOP primary, the, quote, Crucial task of monitoring reading skills in K-3 students will fall to local school districts, WFAE 90.7 FM. So rather than the state purchasing as a whole, what they're allowing is for each individual district to select what they would call a, quote, new a la carte system that allowed districts to select reading assessment tools from a list of five approved vendors. It certainly seems that The free market will win the day as state school districts now can select their own solutions as if there was no need for a state government at all and the entire bidding process was just a complete waste of time and money. Also, when you're thinking about getting a unified snapshot of a state's ability to meet reading guidelines, having many different vendors and many different tests would, well, that's a nightmare for you, education data folks. 
So basically, no one's going to have a very unified picture of where students are in their reading program because they're using so many different assessments. But Johnson said that this would only be for a time period, and quote, "We will likely return to one diagnostic for the entire state in the years ahead." Johnson told the State Board of Education, quote, "But this is the right decision for the next school year." Because, of course, having multiple vendors and COVID at the same time couldn't make anything even worse. So, with Johnson writing out his final days and the whole incoming Catherine Truitt, so we're going to have to see how this all plays out in the coming year. We have yet to see how this is going to play out in the coming year. It's 2021 as we're recording this, and if you're listening to this episode in the distant future, you already know how it turns out. But for us, we don't know. Currently, the state of North Carolina is operating without a unified system for evaluating students. As of this episode's recording, we saw that only 14.7% of the districts in North Carolina selected Amplify, while iStation was selected by 30% of the districts. And then iReady, not to be confused with iStation or iPhones or iMusics or other iProducts, has the majority stake at 41.4%. We're going to have to see if this is going to turn into a three-way pitch battle between Larry Berger's Amplify, Richard Collins's iStation, or the Dark Knight, David S. Benham's iReady. Sometimes the most needed reforms are the most boring ones, and it seems that the process of purchasing at the state and even the local level is broken. Government procurement continues to be rife with insider dealing and downright fraud. Even with the proposed checks and balances provided by the request for proposals and the long process and the review commission, the review committees and the supposed public disclosures, there is often abuse of the system. Contractual disputes, such as the one we just discussed, are typically not in the news unless something really heats up and all the parties involved have the resources to elevate them beyond the local blogs and Twitter activists and into the mainstream news. In the case of two well-connected ed tech companies, they had enough resources to elevate this in the news media. But for each one of these high-level contractual battles, there are many others that don't gain notoriety. We're going to continue to follow up on this story as well as, of course, bring you additional stories where seemingly boring transactions and contracts offer exciting and often crazy stories. Considering that the education of children is at stake, these are important matters. And now, as an exit ticket, time for one last story. How crazy can you get during a class period? For one substitute music teacher, that's plenty of time to go cray cray. For many, you may not even consider substitute music teacher as a career, but you should, considering that schools seem to be taking people who are wandering about talking to themselves on the street, eating wallpaper paste, and placing them in front of children. So it seems that rather than discussing stocks and bonds with unseen squirrel friends or transmitting messages from alien governments, they're put in front of a classroom and they appear to be teaching children. Enter one substitute teacher in Wake County, North Carolina, who went off to play some real sour notes for instructional time. According to children who told their parents, who told social media, who told news outlets, who repackaged the social media posts and then sold them to networks, who were then shared on social media, the substitute teacher resigned after she apparently ranted in front of the children during a regular music lesson. And what pray tell would a substitute music teacher rant about? Could it be the Influence of Count Basie and Lester Young on John Coltrane, or how Renaissance music has influenced a lot of contemporary music, especially solo ballads. Nope. The substitute teacher, like she just woke up after a shot by Nurse Ratched, claimed that among other things, Martin Luther King Jr. committed suicide, and the entire assassination story was a cover-up. 
Now, we're not sure how this topic would be broached in a music class. Now, children, music, Mr. Music Teacher left me some notes and it appears that you're rehearsing for Black History Month concert. Timmy, your oboe sounds a little flat. You know what also sounds flat? The story that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated when clearly that that's a cover-up. According to news outlets in the 50-minute class period, the teacher also praised Donald Trump, read from the Bible, and claimed, this is for bonus points during Black History Month, that students who dressed in sports attire and happened to be black are headed for a life of gang membership and imprisonment. When parents complained, the principal of the school took quick action and barred the teacher from ever working at the school again. However, due to what appears to be a shortage of substitute teachers at the school, some local parents claim to have seen an older model... Oldsmobile brome with one taillight out and slightly dragging a muffler, creeping about at night visiting trap houses looking to score more substitute teachers. According to the News and Observer, the teacher's employment status was frozen so that no one could hire her while she was being investigated, but certainly the jury is out on whether she will let it go and if she'll substitute again for schools in the future. Well, that certainly was a crazy ride. We'd like to thank our sources, our primary sources, Soundscape Sounds. Credits will be listed on the website, www.scandalk12us.com. Of course, free sound allows us to add a soundscape to all our episodes. Credits will be on the website. Do keep free sound in your thoughts and prayers and perhaps donate to the cause. You can donate money or a sound. We do this podcast out of love for children, but we also do it for love of money. Do go over to Patreon if you have a few spare dollars you don't know what to do with and donate them to us. We're going to be doing some really exciting episodes in the coming weeks. We're going to be going international and exploring some school issues overseas that have an impact at home. We're also going to be looking into alternative funding streams for schools in order to upgrade or purchase technology. Doesn't that sound like a lot of fun? Don't worry, it's not going to involve any sort of RFP process or procurement. It's a straight-up government grant, but let's not give it away. So remember, students, tell us and we forget, teach us and we remember, screw us over and you're on scandal.k12.us. Class dismissed.